Hi, everybody, and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. I'm Robin Lewis, founder and CEO of The Robin Report, uh, which, uh, by the way, and I say this every week because I want you all to know that we're much more than just a daily report. It, it really is a knowledge platform, okay, from which we communicate thought leadership on various strategic topics uh, through those daily reports, but also these podcasts, webinars, and hopefully in the fall, live events. So along with our chief strategist, Shelley Cohan, who, by the way, is a professor at FIT and Syracuse University, we welcome you to our weekly podcast, which is coming from the Robin Report Recording Studios, which we, okay, little humor call The Nest. <laughs> and our topic today, I think is really a big one because I have not seen a lot of conversation about this topic, which is platinum service turns to tin post-COVID. You know, Shelley, service uh, has forever been kind of a built-in expectation as a major part of the overall shopping experience for consumers. And as we know, it has rarely lived up to their expectations. Yeah, you know, there, there are some great examples of super service. You know, Nordstrom it's, has always been cited as kind of the poster child. But you also have brands like Nike in their own stores. Lululemon's a major one for service and experience and so forth. And of course, we know it's easier to provide uh, great service in smaller omni-branded stores. But now in our post-pandemic world, when one would assume that great service is never more needed than it is today, to get uh, a very reticent kind of virus-fearing consumer to come back to shopping in the store. And yet the reverse is happening. So Shelley, are we heading into what you called <laughs> the service-less society? And uh, why? Yeah, Robin, I think there's a collision of many factors that have led or are leading into this kind of downward spiral of service failure. <clears throat> you know, some points you and, you and I may not agree on, but I'm telling you, we as an industry are heading down a path that will only disappoint the consumers that are expecting certain service levels. So let me list out kind of the different factors and let's talk about each one. They're all kind of different, but also interrelated. But when you combine all five of these factors, it really has an impact on the shopper journey. So the first one is there's a shortage of workers. Secondly, of those working, there's an overworked existing workforce. And I'll explain that when we get to that one in a second. Um, retailers are carrying less inventory. The fourth factor is supply chain issues abound. And fifth, you know, Gen Z's preference shift on service, their view on service has been different. Well, you know, all five of those points are excellent, Shelley. And um, they, they, they really give you and I a framework to talk through this. Uh, and so, you know, let's start with the current issue uh, in the US market with a shortage of workers. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, job openings rose to an unprecedented 9.3 million 
That's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's incredible, and and that was reported back in April. Um, you know, companies are really getting desperate for workers, and we've seen this in all functions, uh, and all kinds of businesses, consumer-facing businesses, especially restaurants and retail jobs. So everywhere you go, hiring signs uh, are all over the place, you know, trying to get workers. And some of the key points are, uh, I think one would be stagnant wages, right? And or lower minimum wages. We have seen uh, some companies raising paid to address this issue. But secondly, also workers having gone through last year, <laughs> really want better working conditions. And, you know, the global health crisis has promoted people uh, to look at their own lives with a much more focus on wellness. I mean, work-life balance becomes an even bigger issue than it has been over the past few years. Some industries that uh, require weekend, uh, night, working at night, you know, the graveyard shift, et, et cetera, and so forth, uh, time away from family may be more challenging to fill. So we know restaurants are, and there's this uncertainty about the future for schooling and childcare going into fall 2021 may have people holding back on returning to the workforce until, until they are assured of, of if and how their children uh, will be returning to school. That is a huge issue across the country. And you got this whole political thing going on in Florida, Texas. Um, I'm not gonna go into that, it's a whole other subject. So, you know, there was that, that whole mask wearing issue. So yeah, a shortage of workers in general is a very real and perplexing issue. And Raman, obviously for our audience, I don't have to explain a shortage of workers impacts the customer service levels that are executed, right? So let's leave it at that. Um, but the one area I do wanna to touch upon is that with this shortage of workers, it then leaves the existing workers, so the people that are working with quite simply more work. So they're right. being, stretch thin, and it is taking a toll on how they're responding to customers. So they're either getting too edgy with customers in store, on the phone, in emails, or simply not responding, just walking out. You know, the workers left to pick up the slack just don't want to deal with the customer problems and challenges. And add this to your point about this wellness focus for people and they would rather walk away from a customer problem than have it take a toll on their emotional health. So part of the service failures come from what I've been calling an overworked workforce. Yeah, that's for sure, Shelley. And it's, it's a great point. And on your third point, you know, retail is carrying less inventory. Um, give us some color on how this is impacting customer service, you know, as you see it. Sure. Well, you know, retailers are trying to reduce the inventory holdings um, in the store, but it's really having an unfavorable impact on the customers. Listen, as you know, Robin, I've read a lot of annual reports over the past year, as I always do, and I see that there's less inventory on the books. And walking into stores, I can see there's less inventory in stock. 
And as much as I'm a big fan of the direct-to-consumer model, D2C, and we've discussed this in our podcast, the D2C model is no silver bullet. Um, Retailers retailers can't expect the customer to carry the inventory for them. So I know I've shared my dress story with you already, Rob, but I have literally ordered and paid for four dresses, of which I only actually need one. Yeah, this is a great story, Shelley. (laughs) Yes, please do repeat it. No, it's really... It's, a cra- it's crazy, yeah. but yeah. it's true. Um, the retailer would not order the dress from the vendor and have it shipped to the store. So five years ago, <laughs> vendors uh, would ship merchandise to stores. The customer comes in, they try it on. But this retailer wouldn't do that. They told me I had to get the uh, dress from the vendor and have it shipped to me. So now I've actually paid for four dresses and I will return three of the four. Um, but my question is, you know, why is the customer taking on the burden for inventory holding now? It just doesn't seem like the best experience. I know certainly for my one story, um, although I've had many other of my colleagues have similar experiences, you know, it's just not right asking the customers to buy the inventory on behalf of the store. And the other area that has had major impact in, ter- in terms of service is furniture. Yeah. Now, you know, furniture is, you know, the model is the customer pays up front and the furniture then gets delivered. So it is common practice. However, the frequency of longer wait times or wrongly shipped products has really been on the rise uh, since the pandemic. And according to a recent Fortune magazine article, delivery times for Lazy Boy now stand at an unprecedented five to nine months. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. It's, so they have your money. They have your money for nine months. Exactly. Because <laughs> you're holding, you've already paid for it. And then if you go back to our, our <coughs> earlier point on the worker shortage, many factories and distribution centers have a shortage of workers. Um, so that just makes it very difficult for them to execute the distribution. Furniture chains are also having a very difficult time keeping up with demand. The Washington Post recently reported that the annual sales at mattress makers, Temper Sealy International, Casper Sleep, and Purple Innovation have jumped 20 and 50% compared to one year ago. Incredible. Another <laughs> unbelievable. And both of those points are, are, are extremely good, Shelley. And, and it kind of leads to, to your next point also. Um, major supply chain issues. And that is that many, maybe most non-essential retailers canceled their orders from vendors, not knowing what season the pandemic would be gone in. So so they would just move the inventory they currently had into uh, the next season. And when they did order, they probably under-ordered, you know, traditional supply chains and processes were completely broken down. Uh, so there was absolutely no way to normalize and when to even try. You know, it's, uh, Shelley, it's kind of like, <laughs> it's called seat of the pants, right? And just winging it, right. uh, which is incredible, um, crazy. I mean, so think about it. Also, you know, also there's material shortages, okay? Higher demand surge for, for certain products. And of course, higher freight costs and port congestions and scarcity of products also 
all of that creates higher pricing. You know, <laughs> a picture is worth a thousand words. I, I wish our listeners could see um, uh, this picture I uh, have in front of me of the port of Long Beach, right? Out in California, which has really been on the news since April with a constant barrage of shipping backups. I mean, it's really gotten ridiculous. Yeah, well, if you take the supply chain issues alongside less inventory in stores, it really leads to a mess in terms of having the right product at the right place, at the right time, with the right price. This is a simple service edict for the industry, yet many brands are having a difficulty meeting this minimum service expectation. Which brings me to my last point in that Gen Z does not really prioritize service to the same levels as the boomers and the Gen Xers. You know, as Gen Z becomes a more predominant worker in the workforce, this attitude around service culture will continue to be curtailed. And I've seen this firsthand, albeit in a very informal way, but over the past decade, each semester, I ask my students to rank service as a priority compared to price, product, and location. And I have seen literally over the past few years that service factor has slipped from about number two position to number four. So Gen Z is very focused on price and shared values of the retailer. Service becomes a third or fourth factor. And as more Gen Z enter the workforce, we may see a shift in service standards and service culture as a whole. You know, Shelly, it's incredible going from number two to number four, but, and I, I would agree with your classroom survey, okay? But I wonder if service in their minds is uh, simply how sales associates treat them. I mean, anecdotally, um, having talked to a few Gen Z's myself, listen to this, they say, you know, if the minute they walk through a retail door, if they are pounced on by a disingenuous smiley faced associate with kind of a, a robotized, hi, how are you and how can we help you? What are you looking for? Blah, blah, blah. They, they say that this is way creepy. That is true. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think they are a more independent consumer more confident, they know precisely what they want and are looking for. We, having probably scoped out the store and product first on the internet, which I think the, the metric there is 73% of people go shopping, they go online first. Anyway, so these Gen Zs uh, don't really need um, smiley face. <laughs> However, Shelley, I would speculate that Gen Zs do want a compelling experience, okay? Like Lululemon we mentioned, or Nike or many others, um, where service per se, you know, is already baked in the cake, if you will. In other words, simply a superior kind of unspoken part of the entire superior experience. So what do you think about that, Shelley? Well, you know, after listening to you, Robin, I would say that you're right, but the product and the values of the company must be on point with the Gen Z generation. And maybe like you said, you know, service is shifting in terms of how Gen Z defines and views customer service in the future. 
I think all the factors that we talked about today are impacting the industry's ability to execute the customer service standards that we've been accustomed to pre-pandemic. Totally, totally, totally agree. And like I said, this is a very important topic, which really hasn't been uh, discussed uh, very much that I have been reading and hearing about. So I'm glad we're able to cover this. But so I don't know, let's do a little sci-fi here. I don't know, at the end of the day, I don't know, or maybe several years into the future, um, there will be two types of a retail experience, okay? One for, you know, commoditized or basic products, which will be, you know, sold online, Amazon, quick, fast, and or in contactless stores. Uh, no associates and self-checkout. It, it's, it's the kind of model Amazon has been testing. But then, you know, the second model, which I totally believe will be true, or for those who want to succeed, will be totally experiential. Again, like Lululemon, I keep using them. It's an easy brand to understand. Everybody knows about it, where the customer is going to the yoga class. That is their point of destination. Going there only for the yoga class. That's number one. But by the way, while they're there, they, you know, may see a new style of yoga where they like, and then they buy it. So we'll see how it all plays out, Shelly. For now, um, service is a big issue, and it's even bigger than it was before the pandemic, and it's going to continue to get more and more uh, needed uh, to serve the customer. Anyway, for now, uh, it's a wrap. Thank you very much. Robin, we should probably mention that we just had two webcasts from our Innovators Network. One was with George Shaw of Pather on spatial intelligence, which was fascinating conversation. And recently we did a webinar with Placer AI with Ethan on that one, which is really great. So I'd encourage people to check that out on our website. Thanks for bringing that up, Shelly. And by the way, I got to add in here that in coming up uh, in the fall, We've got uh, a fantastic forum in, in coordination with the University of Wisconsin, uh, which Coles, of course, is a big uh, investor in that school. And uh, that's gonna be, I think we're gonna have three of those. We're also doing FIT as well. So all of our audience uh, should tune in. You will be notified when they're gonna be running. Appreciate and I also it. wanna, I want to thank all our listeners. You can find more of our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and therobinreport.com. And please follow us on social media, link in with us, and follow us on Twitter for the latest thoughts about the industry. And I want to thank you again for joining us. And like I do every week, I would like all of you to think about topics that are in the front of your minds and, and that you've been ruminating about. And uh, you can email me uh, the topic that you would like us to cover, and we'll try to do it for you. So my email is robin at therobinreport.com. Thanks once again.